Going up, Arky. Are we doing lamp or what, mate? Come on. All right, all right. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I'm right. Here I am. What? What the hell are you doing with chips <laughs> up here? Get them into them, starving. We've only got an hour or two before lights on. Come on. Yeah, but look at all bloody seagulls they're outside. Fine. They're out behind glass, aren't they? They're nowhere near me. I don't think anyway. Let me just gobble them down. I won't be long. If we open this up, right, for testing, and those bloody seagulls coming, <laughs> that's it, right? They can't smell. They've got no noses. They've only got beef. Why are they all in bed? I mean, it's bloody dusk now. Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't right. it? Well, let's get stuff sorted out here. Let's open these up a little bit. Right. Got to be shredded, mate. Honestly, I've got practice. Right. right. Are you are you already on power, Yeah, Got you. Right. One, two, three. Oh, there we go. It's shiny and lovely and bright. Oh, <laughs> I tell that. you what, I love the first shine of a night. Look yeah. at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, bloody seagulls have gone. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Where have they Wait, all gone? Hang about. What's all this shit? Oh, Jesus! Oh, no! Bats! Oh, bats! Oh, bats! bats! Oh, that's all. That's oh. not good. I tell you what, that is. That's guanu. Is that my friend? Oh, Pure guanu. Nasty jazz. Yeah. Oh, let's go get. Oh, the leathery wings slapping all over oh, me. Dirty, Make dirty things. Chips and all. That's oh. no good, is that? We'll, we'll have a supper after later. We'll have a supper later, that's all. But the thing is now, what we need to do, let's get out of here, shut that door, come yeah, downstairs. Yeah. Let's go and study. Yeah, let's that's nice. Let's get, yeah, yeah. Right, here we go. You know. Right, into study. Get yourself sat over there, our kid. Oh, I'm done. Oh, why that? have you been casting? I've been casting! <laughs> oh, good lad! <laughs> <laughs> what have we got? What have we got? Well, it's a funny thing, though, isn't it? You see, because sometimes, like, creatures come that you don't expect. Like, they're they? pissing bats all over me chips. Yeah, so, I mean, well, one thing is, you've got to understand is, like, in places like, you know, here, we've got trouble with bats and sometimes with seagulls and things like that. But what do you think hassles or hassle the, the GIs in Vietnam? Animals, or you mean yeah, like well, Charlie yeah. in the Any bush? Charlie in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I say snakes and poisonous insects and all that sort. Of I bet that were a hassle with that, you know. And I don't like them. the thing. I and lions, like. apocalypse now. That lion just leaps out. Or not a lion, it's, it's a tiger. tiger. <laughs> it's a tiger. Yeah. Big <laughs> cats out there, you know. It shows. Yeah. Well. But one thing they never really cover that happened in Vietnam, right? What about yetis? Or give up Asian oh, Yetis in Vietnam. Oh, yes, my friend. Fight alongside the GIs or the, the, the Kong. <laughs> well, let's find out. I've got cast out, we'll find out. Oh, and wow. This, and this story's called Rock Apes The Yetis That Plagued GIs in the Vietnam War. Rockies? <laughs> yeah, so this is a story by Jay Hemmings from War History Online, right? Oh. And he says. Sightings of rock apes by Viet Cong and NVA troops, which is of the North Vietnamese Army, were also common enough that an NVA general organised an expedition in 1974 to try and capture or at least kill one. Oh my God! Can you so imagine? It ain't like 
some one side or another side or a yeti in the middle of no, it. Capes in no, the middle of it. So, everyone has heard of cryptids, mysterious creatures, the existence of which is disputed by mainstream science, such as the Loch Ness Monster, the Sasquatch, or the Bigfoot, and Yeti, also called the Abominable Snowman, or the dinosaur-like Macaulay Mbembe. What? The Macaulay Mbembe of the jungles of Central Africa. Oh my god, I've never even heard of them. Oh, well, I'll cover that later. It's a, it's a, it's a, like a Diplodocus that's been sighted. A <laughs> <laughs> Diplodocus? That's, it looks like, it looks like oh, a Diplodocus. That yeah. size as well? Yeah, yeah. Oh, mate. That's the Macaulay um, uh, um, oh, Mbembe. Oh, I love all yeah. that. So, while rock apes, or batutus, as they are called in <laughs> Vietnam, <laughs> are nowhere near as well-known as the aforementioned cryptids, sightings of these mysterious creatures by American troops in the jungles of Vietnam throughout the course of the Vietnam War were surprisingly numerous, with many witnesses giving extremely detailed accounts of sightings. So, one particular hill in Vietnam was the site of so many rock ape sightings that became known as Monkey Mountain. Oh, this is, good. <laughs> this is a good story. He could bring us back to Monkey, the TV show, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> While no corpses of these strange creatures were ever recovered or any clear picture of them taken, the fact that sightings of them were so widespread and common throughout the war makes them worthy of at least an investigation. So rock apes were so named because of their supposed propensity for throwing rocks usually in retaliation, though after rocks were thrown at them first. They were also said to toss grenades hurled their way <laughs> back at the throwers. <laughs> Alright, I've got to say, it went from one like throwing stones, then they suddenly chucking grenades about. I think you will. They caught up with technology quite quickly. I mean, the thing is that you don't want to be chucking a grenade at a rocket, oh, do you? Jesus Christ. You're what are you going to do if you, want to, if you want it to blow up, but you've got to have the timer right? Yeah, you? this is it. You've got to be able to do it, you know. But, but you... who were chucking stones at them? Let's just rewind a bit. Someone's throwing stones at the rockets and they throw them back. Well, the way I can kind of figure it out is I think the GIs were kind of going through the forest and stuff and then they'd see these figures these creatures in the bushes yeah. but I think they might first have thought oh no no it's Charlie it's yeah, the Viet, yeah. Viet, Viet Cong but then they realised that one it was just like some, some ape that yeah, was out yeah. there so they're thinking look you, you know you're doing made in here now get, get out yeah, of here chucking rocks at them but the reality was then these these started chucking rocks back. Well, they didn't start yeah. the GI did or <laughs> Viet. <laughs> well, the weird thing is, it's like as well because you know, like Viet, the Viet Cong, they didn't call themselves the Viet Cong. Yeah, yeah. They oh. got they, they they called themselves the Viet Minh, didn't they? Oh, that's it. Yeah, because I got yeah. always confused when I was younger. You were reading books and that. Thinking, There's yeah. about ten names here. And and the, and the odd thing about it is, they call themselves the Viet Minh. Um, but we call, or the Americans call them, the Viet Cong to make them sound more fierce. Oh. By, because it's Viet, as in King Kong. No way. Yeah, We're the getting one, a lot of monkey links here. Monkey, monkey mountains. Monkey links, monkey mountains, <laughs> big monkeys and all that sort of stuff. And to make them sound more fierce, and they call them the Viet Cong. Wow. So, and they weren't, they weren't really called Viet Cong, they called the Viet Minh. Yeah. So, you know, so that could be, you know, something to do with it. But, um... These apes are described as being up to six feet tall and strongly built, with long limbs and protruding stomachs. <laughs> the rock apes of or Batutus were said by witnesses to be covered in brown or reddish fur. Right? They were also thought to live in troops uh, rather than living in a solitary existence, and their habitat was confined to remote areas of the jungle, far from human habitation. 
areas that the Vietnam War opened up. Yeah. They, they, they're not going to go through the really gnarly, horrible places, are you normally, no. but through the war, sneaking about and that. Slang around oh, looking for Charlie, yeah. yeah all the other way around, hiding from American troops. You're not going to be on beaten track, are you? You're going to have some no. proper dark. Absolutely hidden. true. You know? ah, and it's suddenly going across Monkey Mountain that hasn't been disturbed in thousands of years. I know, it's a bit of a naughty one, isn't it, really? Wow. But... So at first, the description of these creatures seems to point to the fact that they may simply have been mis- misidentified. Orangutans. Ah. But while orangutans did once inhabit Vietnam, they became extinct there thousands of years ago. Right, right? Yeah, yeah. And also, orangutans don't really live in big family groups. Right. It's usually a mother and a, and a child, yeah, yeah. Uh, or like a solitary big adult male. Yeah, and yeah. it got six feet. I think if you were to have one stood up with their arms stretched, yeah, yeah. But I mean, basically, the build of an orangutan is sort of. It's like a big football with long airy arms, isn't it? Yeah, big ginger yeah. football. <laughs> Half deflated space up. Yeah. Big bellies on them, though. Yeah. So the, the thought there might have been uh, even like white cheeked gibbons and other little primates and oh. things. But these primates, which do live in the Vietnam jungles, just not big enough. There's nothing yeah, to actually, yeah. there's nothing that ticks the list of what a rocket might be. Jesus, a rocket for that. Yeah. Isn't it? You know what I mean? I imagine them with guitars and shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like Kiss. It's just because they've got makeup on everything like kiss. that, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, you see, it wasn't just the American troops that get in trouble with it, you see. So, sightings of rockets by Viet Cong and NVA troops were also common enough that an NVA general, General Huang Min Ta, Organised an expedition in 1974 to try to capture or at least kill one, right? So they're hunting them down, right? And another expedition organised by Professor Vo Ki, I think it's Vo Ki, that's quite Fair a name, play. yeah, yeah, from the Vietnam National University was similarly unsuccessful. When was that last one then? So we had 1975. When did war end back? It had a bit badly that. It's going to be like. Do you know I'm a little bit, bit sure with that myself? I think it's six. I think he was in the 70s. 69, yeah. I think it finished. It seems to me like he's led the army afterwards. He's still got his tool up army. Americans have gone. And he says, right, let's find out what the hell was going on during that battle. Well, let's find out now. Let's have a quick look to see how long the Vietnam War lasted. I'm saying until 68. Yeah, and I said about, I'm saying about, was it 72? 72. It's 1975. Give up. And it was from 1955 to 1975. Well, I think it was first started, you see, with the French. Yeah, yeah. When it was in Dutch China. Yeah, yeah. I did kind of know a little bit about that from an excellent book, as you all know. Oh, mate. Was it Devil's Guard? The Devil's Guard. Such a good book. But super rare, super rare. Is it? Yeah, I've yeah. got it. I've got. I managed to get a copy a few years ago. Did I you? Thought, God, I haven't managed to read this. I've got it at home. Oh, yeah, if well, you want to read, give it a shout. Dark and very, um, very controversial book because yeah. it's been written by an ex SS Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a nice woman. He listen. Oh, he's nice, but he won't he's involved. A twat. <laughs> he will be. He won't involved in the bad stuff. But God, he's good at being a twat. He's really, good at being a twat. Really good. At he's good. At, he's good at being a soldier. That's yeah, what he very is, good. You know? we're, we're, scarily good. We're not good at being soldiers. No, no, no I'm not writing at all. Uh, that's it. So, so basically, what happened? It was 1955 till 1975 uh, was when the uh, Vietnam War was sort of like mostly in its, its aggro. So, so that means that if it's till 75, it means that the expedition to go see, see if they can find one of these creatures uh-huh. was actually during the war. So it must have been a problem for him, you know, to do an, a special expedition just for that yeah. during the near the end of it. Can you imagine what a faff that be? Exactly. Got bloody war on you, thinking I'm off looking for monkeys. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's going to be released to us, isn't it? You know I mean? Oh, I can't imagine that. Weaponized it. It's a movie in that. <laughs> in that. Imagine like, see, with a beat up old chopper or something. <laughs> Look out. There's monkeys flying that rig. <laughs> I think so. I think it is. I mean, one thing they are sort of saying about like the whole thing is that they might have been imagined these apes. Yeah. Um, because they're saying that people under extreme stress and one thing or another, uh, and the fact that they're sort of claiming they might have been like, taking hallucinogens, the soldiers yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff. But that doesn't account for the sightings by the, uh, the Viet Cong yeah. or Viet Minh. And the uh, NVA, those troops as well. You know, they're going to be clean as a whistle. Well, those guys are, because they were serious about it. You know, the Americans were making a bit of a bollocks here and there. But the actual Vietnamese, because the NVA were fighting, they were the Vietnamese army fighting the... the, the communist north, exactly. So it's like sort of that. That were they were so they were dead serious. They weren't yeah, talking about yeah. yeah. They're, they're fighting on sort of like rice and fury kind yeah. of thing, you know. Yeah. Right. God, you know, to get the actual name Stone, well, Stone it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, rockets. Rockets. Yeah. They must be chucking bloody a lot around. It ain't just yeah. something you see in like shadows and stuff. You can oh, it's a rocket. You're getting no. a fucking rocket back here. Or well, this is it. But I, I also think. Maybe it's time to revisit it. It's a, it's a, it's a more peaceful time. Mm. But do you think they'll find it? If they did look? Or did the war tear a hole in the thin place? Oh, yeah, did these it. apes come through from somewhere else? And they're only seen then, but not now because it's more peaceful. Yeah. I don't yeah. think... I mean, they've never found bodies, never found skeletons, never found bones. It's a big destination now, isn't it? Yeah. In Vietnam, you've got big biking trips and stuff like that. It's true, true. But, a lot of them are still locked off because there's still a lot of ordnance out there. Still a lot of unexploded bombs. There's areas of Vietnam you still can't go to. Maybe they're there, living peacefully. Maybe they are, they're just in there. Or maybe they didn't look the bombs that are left. Oh, my God. And ready to go to war with us once again. Too, you know, <laughs> they've got those bandanas on and stuff, and they're just like locking and loading in the shit, thinking oh. they're going to take these boys down. You did it! You finally <laughs> did it! <laughs> yeah. Did you go to another planet that just went to Vietnam? Oh, man. <laughs> Oh, you, oh, yeah. you bastards, you did yeah. Get your filthy paws off me. Here come from my Roman. Here come So you could argue, you see, that these apes aren't just sort of like primitive beings. Maybe they're a civilization. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're a, a, just a different people living out in the jungle. And they've got their own writings, they've got their own signals, they've got their own things out there. That's cool. Yeah, I like the idea of that. And perhaps these symbols like this are sort of existing within our localities, you know? Mm-hmm. Because there's been a weird find. And this is magnet fishermen find a hall of mysterious engraved cubes. <laughs> As in them dudes at Canal that chuck those like big ropes in. Kind of malarkey, magnet oh, fishing. Wow. Have you ever been magnet fishing? No. Have you? Yeah. Have you? No, I've never been. <laughs> it's no. awful as shit. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like just shopping trolleys and sharp things. It terrified me a bit. A lot of nails. Um, you find you find things like lock keys, you know, for oh, unlocking locks. Cool. They're worth a bit of money. They're about yeah. 20, 30 quid each. Wow, yeah. Uh, and hypothermia. Mm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it is, it's a scratchy existence, isn't yeah. that? So I, I wouldn't do it. So, But this is a little bit different. So 
While some fishermen are probably used to reeling in an old boot, let alone an actual fish, one man in Coventry was stunned when he caught almost 60 mysterious engraved cubes believed to be connected to a Hindu prayer ritual. Wow, cubes. Yes, I'm going to go to show you a little picture here. That's really good. But um, but what do you think? Look at them symbols. They're so odd. I wonder what's... You haven't got a perspective size of them, have they? They, they look like a couple of inch, don't they? They're about that big. Yeah, yeah. So like so, two inch across, yeah, so two inch square. As usual, what I'll do is I'll make a little selection of pictures and we'll put them up on uh, on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find us at Twitter and at Crack and Curve. And you can find us on Instagram at Crack and Curve Pod. So what you need to do is just, just sign up and follow us and you can have a little look at these pictures too. You need to see them because they're so yeah, bizarre. They're it's very like a, weird, It's like they? a grid of numbers on them. So it ain't like a dice that's got one number. They've got many numbers. Are those English numbers on it? No, it's different. Ah. It's different symbols, different symbols. So magnet fisherman Will Reed was out sifting through shallow waters with his two young sons on Friday the 8th of May when he came across this strange hall. At first, he thought there were useless bits of rubbish at the bottom of the river Sal, but upon closer inspection, he realised they were engraved with detailed inscriptions. So, he says, We were out magnet fishing as our daily activity in lockdown, and we were at a relatively isolated spot. And we went through some keys and pennies and other bits and bobs, and then we looked down and saw what we th- thought at first were tiles. And he was live streaming this on Facebook and he bent down and he picked them up and then he showed them to the camera and he saw what they actually were. So based on the responses the post received on Reddit, Reed believes the cubes may be inscribed with Sanskrit symbols. Wow. Yeah, and could be connected to a Hindu prayer ritual. So there's all sorts of stories flying around at first. The cubes really captured people's imaginations, Will continued. What I learned is that they are Indian in origin and they show incantations for prayers which take effect when they are thrown into running water. Ah, Yeah. So one Reddit user wrote, they are Jyotish tokens with a Rahu Yantra to be used on the Rahu Ranga Mantra recital practice, likely for personal gain. You are right that these are magic squares. But more specifically, they are called Navagraha Yantras. They are traditionally nine of them, one for each planet, each having a distinct combination of nine numbers. Together, they can be combined to form their own magic square. Oh my god, that is so super cool. Bali Sranskri is ancient, isn't it? Yeah. Nine of them, same as our planets and stuff. <laughs> so here's this guy fishing around in the River Sal, right? Um, in, near Coventry. And he's hauled a load of these up. Running water. He needed That's for the it. ritual. Now the question is, do you think they've been recently lobbed in by people of their religion? Or could it have been lobbed in much, much earlier? That's, that's the hard thing, isn't it? Because we all have had traders and people coming in hundreds of years. What they might have first come to England and thought, right, let's kind of like get a bit of a foot get a better look, get a yeah, better look. Exactly. Yeah, we're settling down. And of course, these magnets are so powerful that then this these things could have been sort of stuck right down in the bottom of the mud somewhere, yeah, yeah. hauled up, discovered. But I wonder if by hauling them out of the mud, will have undone all the magic. Oh, has he got a bit of a curse on him now? 
Can you imagine there'd be some old guy, the really ancient guy with all this wealth, and all of a sudden it all just go power and just disappear? Yeah. He's like, oh shit! Yeah. Someone's been messing with me, cute. <laughs> it's mad, oh. though, isn't it? You know these things that people do. You know we all go through these odd things in different religions. I, I mean, I'm not a religious person. Um, I'm not even particularly spiritual, to be honest. I know you're a little bit more spiritual than me. Aren't you, but... Well, weirdly enough, I have learned a bit of Bali Sanskrit because it's a story for another time. My uh, week or two as a monk, <laughs> but we'll get onto that another time. It's a very long story. <laughs> but I did actually learn a little bit of Bali Sanskrit because we will just say that we will cover this later. That, but in a little while, Benny <laughs> was. <laughs> A no, a Buddhist monk. You're a Buddhist monk. I'm fully shamed. I put photos on to prove it at some weird time when it's more topical. <laughs> but just going back to the San- San- Bali Sanskrit because it is a beautiful language and yeah. quite, I won't say surprisingly easy to learn. But I managed to learn enough to get by for me a week or two. Um, but when I were doing it, I thought, God, this is all. This is you know, to kind of taking it kind of half serious, just to kind of get in the mood with it yeah but um it was beautiful language um, and when the translation of it was beautiful too and you look at this and think this is full magic isn't it you i surely want you have you been chucking up <laughs> i won't be chucking them in water they'll be in my house then look at them in no, but, ah, but they don't they don't work until you chuck them in water though ah, yeah. hey do you know what i bet a few of those chucked in the water outside the tide coming in mm. outside the lighthouse that might b- bring us a bit of luck might, it might it? bring us in a few more crabs might bring us some bloody chips to replace uh, yeah, ones true. <laughs> at least a cod or two when we go fishing mate. <laughs> <laughs> trouble earlier on didn't you with like seagulls nicking your chips and bats nicking your chips and all this sort of <laughs> yeah. stuff but you see seagulls and things they're not the most sort of formidable creatures in the air are they well say, oh, I don't know they're bloody big beaks but go yeah. on what else is worse than that an owl or something I don't know about a big old eagle oh yeah shit yeah I wouldn't yeah. mess with an eagle well I've got a weird story here you see and it was a it's from the um, it's from the main department of island fisheries and wildlife oh I like stuff like that yeah it's a nice little sort of like little report they made out but I'm not going to go through the full story of what they did or how it went about I'm just going to kind of skim over this because it's um it's a wildlife report that they're trying to work out you know it's a little bit of a mystery that they nice. you see and the ring is in New Hampshire and these guys the main department of inland fisheries and wildlife they went out on the water because they had reports that a bald eagle had been killed. Aww. Now, it's a protected species of the bald eagle. So, any that are killed or hurt or injured, they have to catalogue, check, and they almost do like a little autopsy. Good, do it? Yeah. God, they're beautiful. Bird. Yeah. Well, the good thing is, it's like that now with any raptors in England, too, now. Yeah. We do the same thing because they're protected species. So, we find out what killed them or how, and hopefully find whoever did kill him, if there is a person involved, that they bring it to justice. And that's the same thing with the bald eagle. But more often than not, you see, nobody in America to kill the bald eagle or damage it. Because it's their national symbol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a real serious. Yeah, time. real serious over there, you know. And it's like they've got this bald eagle out of the water, hold it. I've got a picture of this. We'll put it up on our Instagram and Twitter as well. And and then they investigated it and they found that this bird, this majestic eagle, had been shot through the heart. Oh. What? Yeah, the Americans and the fucking guns. <laughs> well, this is the thing. At first, they're looking for bullets and looking for like a shell or a shotgun 
and we couldn't find anything. But then they looked closer and they realised that his chest had actually been pierced as if by a spear. Oh, God. No. Shot through the heart. You're <laughs> to blame. <laughs> bon you've just been singing it. <laughs> and then they realised, when they looked closer, well, let's look at the shape of this hole. And they realised there was only one other bird with a beak of that shape. And was aggressive enough to do it. Give up. Some bird's having a go at a bald eagle. A bird was having a go at a bald eagle. And they eventually realised that the, the bird in question was a loon. It's got to be a loon to go <laughs> squaring up to <laughs> What's a loon? Well, there we go. There's a, there's a picture of a loon ah, just down here. Look, there you oh, go. yeah, he's rearing up, isn't he? He's it? rearing up. Super sharp, spear-shaped beak. And the beak right. is a specialised instrument for spearing fish. Wow, so it's spearing That's how it That's what it, it does. It, it spears how do you do? Do you spear it out or something and go to land and chuck it on the Oh, floor? no, what they do is they'll, they'll dive down and spear through a fish. Yeah. Haul it up and gobble it down in one. Ah, right, just flick it up or something. Flick it yeah. up or gobble it down in one, you know. Yeah, um, but they're a formidable creature in their own right because they're very territorial. They're <sighs> territorial with all of the birds. Oh, that's it. But what they realise is, during the particular time that this bald eagle was killed, it was the time when they, they had young, the loons had their young. Yeah, right. And easy pickings for eagles yeah, is yeah. the loon babies. Now, near where this... Eagle was found, they did found a dead loon chick. Right, so that is making sense. Like it's got for young. And, and mama bird's like, oh, Yeah, this is it. So the, what they think has happened is that the loon, the, the eagle swooped down, the loon has been protecting the chick, the eagle's got hold of it, yeah, but yeah. just as he's got hold of the chick, the loon has got up close enough and pierced its chest oh, with its spear shaped wow. beak. Take a photo of that. Imagine that. <laughs> what a bizarre sight that is. So it's like a little bit of sleuthing there yeah, from yeah. the nature world. But can you think of any other example where the the symbol of the greatness of America has been ruined by a loon? <laughs> I'm not just that was great orange loon in great there. orange loon yeah. there we've got a moment and I think that's you know, that's that weird really kind of peaky blonde yeah, hair odd crest has. yeah really odd very crest. odd crest yeah <laughs> poor old bald eagles ruined by a loon <laughs> let's hope that we we can we can replace them with something a bit more pleasant <laughs> pretty soon something nicer on the eye as well yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favourite leaders of all time, or sort of thing, was I thought it was King Arthur. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. great no. movies, great thing. Yeah. A king without sword, sword without king. <laughs> 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 and he's, he's one of my favourite films is, yeah, is Excalibur is. and if you've never seen it I mean it's, 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 it's an awesome film is Excalibur but not just that though. all the different bloody Arthian tales there's so many isn't there so many well this is the thing you know and, it, and it's but we're all very familiar with the look of King Arthur aren't we you know yeah. like, so what, what do you reckon King Arthur looks like give a quick description uh, brown beard 
maybe six foot, not too tall, because he always feels like uh, Sir Lancelot would be bigger or something, in my view. Oh, yeah. Um, kind of long black hair, uh, and just tough as a dog's head, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that as a king of the era, I think that's what we're talking about. But how about if I told you that the, possibly the true description of what King Arthur might have looked like is he may have been about... I don't know, six foot eight to six foot nine. <gasps> what? He could have been maybe fifty to sixty stone, ah. covered in fur. Oh my! Huge God. teeth, basically a bear. <gasps> what King Arthur the bear? King Arthur could have been a bear. What were Excalibur? It's schlong. <laughs> <laughs> a big bear length. <laughs> my trusty bear pipe. Well, what we've actually been looking into is the idea that this great king, his history could have been a lot further back than the Dark Ages, which is when King Arthur's wouldn't be about. Yeah. yeah, because the Dark Ages, you see, they were roughly around from about 400 to 800 AD. And Don't like the Romans left and all that. That's exactly yeah. it. The Romans pissed off and just left like a power vacuum. Yeah. And um, tribalism ruled. God. Yeah, and it was, a, it was a pretty tough time for an awful lot of people. But what a lot of people don't realise, there's an awful lot going on during this time. It yeah. wasn't just a case of um, barbarity and pillage. Yeah, um, yeah. Although a lot of that was going on too, because <laughs> obviously you take a light away. It's like when in Iraq, when all the forces leave there. Yeah. You, you know, there's a power vacuum, things go a bit ugly for a while. But at the same time, there were things going on. There was a lot of bother, a lot of kicking off and things. But the great hero, the great leader of this time, the man who were put supposedly came and brought everyone out of the Dark Ages, was King Arthur. Oh, cool. So he was the guy with magic and and intelligence and muscle yeah, and yeah. just general bravery. He was meant to have enlightened this era. He was a, he was a light, a bit like our lamb yeah, in the, the darkness. Hero. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. The heroes in the dark yeah. times. and 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 he that's who he was supposed to be. But the weird thing is. There's absolutely no evidence for King Arthur. You know, there's no sword, there's no round yeah. table. I mean, there should be all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, there should be um, evidence. Especially, like, you know, Jesus had got loads, and I don't think he even existed. There's Jesus' foreskin somewhere, isn't there? You know, in one of these chapels. In... Is he? Yeah, no, honestly, <laughs> there's a, you know, one of the weird relics is Jesus' foreskin, yeah. Absolutely. Get mad in that. What about that taste like? <laughs> oh, a bit of beef jerky. <laughs> Jesus built on. <laughs> <laughs> but is it, but yeah, so it's like there's meant to be out there, um, you know, there's meant, all these relics, there could have been the table, the round yeah. table, there could have been which castle he was meant to be at, and there's all these rumours, it was at this castle, the other castle, all these yeah. other places, you know, and but the reality is they don't really know where he was. Oh, it's really like a tapestry of summer, they don't even that, yeah. is it? Yeah. But what they're thinking is, it may be a legend that goes much, much further back. So, this is a story by Arthurian Scotland, right? And it's called Some Notes on Arthur as a Pagan Deity. And it's actually called Echoes of an Older God by Eddie Murray. And they're wondering where the name Arthur actually came from. Arthur? (laughs) (laughs) On the buses. (laughs) Showing your heads there, kid. So they're saying, the name is not that of a mortal man, but of a god. The pre-Christians worshipped a god called Artur by the Irish and Arteus by the Gauls or the French. The name has been variously connected with words for to plough, 
which in the Latin is Arari, very similar to Arthur, mm-hmm. right? Which makes him a god of agriculture. But also for Bear, which is in the Greek is Arctos, which again, not a million miles away from Arthur, right? Which makes him a bear god. But there's also a reference to the word black. There's a link to the word black, which makes him a raven god. Alright. You know? So, yeah. So the, it's like this, like an animal god. And of course, linking to a lot of Greek stuff, like ravens yeah. and various animals. You know, you've got things like the uh, various constellations in the sky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, things like this. So they were big references. So, in any case, Arthur is, like many other heroes, merely a pagan god, transformed into a fictional mortal with the deeds some real men attributed to him. So what they're thinking is really that he's, he's, he is from legend. Yeah, yeah. And the it could be a bear god, it could be a raven god, it could yeah, be any one of these particular creatures. That kind you of know. Makes sense. Yeah, and it and it does make sense. But the thing is as well, it goes full circle. So a lot of the times, although we make up these stories of particular creatures and particular men, it could have started out just as a very brave man back. I don't know, like in two two and a half thousand years ago. Yeah. yeah. And then they said he was so brave he was like a bear. Yeah, yeah. And me fought as brave as a bear or something, you know, and he was like had godlike strength. And then they actually stopped turning him into a bear. And then that bear then became Arthur later on. It could be a little bit like so, that. Do you think they didn't have telly back in the day, you know, I mean, all watching Doctor Who on a Saturday night, you know, those kind of stories meant a hell of a lot more word of mouth stories on the yeah. campfire, didn't it? So it's one of them, you know, you got your paintings on the wall, or even, you know, your stone buildings and all the little hovels mm-hmm. that are living back there. The stories were all gods, you know what I mean? It were king, yeah. wasn't it, you know, to have those kind of stories. And in times of need and stuff, when you need an Arthur, you know, kind of legend to cheer everybody up, yeah. you know, they're going to twist it in to that modern, you know, like content. Well, this is true. I think that's really true. Is that you know, and as well, I mean, we do talk about Chinese whispers, but I think the the most unreliable whispers are probably Dark Ages whispers, yeah, where yeah. people are sort of like again sitting down in the cruel darkness yeah. of the Dark Ages, telling stories, and they might create the man they want. But the thing is, he really does mainly dwell in the south, doesn't he, Arthur? It's like yeah, Cornwall. Yeah. That's what I've that sort of... And going on to Wales as well is a big one, yeah. Well, that's funny you should say that, because other suggestions for the origin of the name of Arthur, the ploughman, is Ardu, A-R-D-U, Welsh for the dark ploughed earth, and Ardu, Gaelic for the dark one. Which is two little things you think, oh, that's that's a bit of a weird one, you know what I mean? So basically what they're saying is, if you remember all the legends of Arthur and the link between the king and the people, uh-huh. but then the king being a link between the people and the land. Yeah. So what they're saying here is, it enthralled them before it had been written down. They saw Arthur on the earth where hillsides, caves, boulders and streams bore his name. They saw him in the sky, where they called the glittering great bear Arthur's Wain. And Arcturus, the fastest moving of all the brighter stars, they saw as another symbol of his name. They heard him in the air, naming the wind after him, as in the verse, Arthur, O Bower, has broken his band, and now he comes roaring up the land. He was leader of the ride of the dead, who collects the souls and rides with them through the air at night. That is the Arthur I want to talk about, the ancient Arthur, Arthur 
as a pagan deity. God, that's sexy, isn't it? It's like he's everywhere. Like he's in the trees, he's in the growing of your crops, he's in the sky. God, it is, isn't it? It's hard to fathom a word like that nowadays where you could really say it's the same as, you know, like the yeah. sun. You know, it means everything to us, doesn't it? You know, it grows us food, it warms us, it gives us energy, you know what That's I mean? It. It's like a, a magical thing, isn't it? But Arthur's that other hope, isn't you it? Mean, hope is exactly yeah, the word I was just about to say. Hero. God, when you're down, man, and you've got a glimmer yeah. of hope that someone's got to come, you know what I mean? And, well, uh, as they already think, though, they think that he's not dead, they think he's immortal, they think he's sleeping, and they could turn around and say that when he says sleeping, he is part of the land, he's almost like a giant yeah. sleeping, and who put him to sleep? Uh, who else but Merlin? Oh, yeah. Sleep! Sleep, my boy. <laughs> Sleep in the belly of the dragon. Himself, right? But what do you think is the most sort of legendary thing about him? What sticks out to you? So with Arthur. With King Arthur, well, yeah. Lady, I mean, you've got the round table, obviously. Round yeah. table, lady. Oh, easily actually thinking about it. The sword in the stone. Oh, it has to be. That's the one that you draw it out and you're king. That's you what you're fucking power of a is, king. It? But weirdly enough, you're drawing the symbol of kinghood out of the earth, aren't you? Oh, what is more yeah. solid earth than stone? Yeah, yeah, from the very like foundation of the earth. That's exactly yeah. it, you know. But obviously, it's only a story. Yeah. Or is it? Yeah, it's only a story. Ah, well, have you ever <laughs> heard about the legendary sword in the stone of San Galgano? Wow, that sounds cool. <laughs> Where's that? Where's that? Right. Well, this is a story from ancientorigins.net. So let's look into this then, right? One of the most famous British legends is that of King Arthur and the sword in the stone. So according to the various versions of the story, the sword could only be pulled out of the stone by the true King of England. But a similar, though much less well-known story, can be found in the Italian region of Tuscany and has even been suggested by some as the inspiration for the British legend. This is the sword in the stone of San Galgano. Oh man, that sounds easy. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? So where is it? Tuscan, Italy. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So if, you, if you're looking at Italy, right? You know, yeah, yeah. You imagine like the boot the of it, boot. the boot yeah, of Italy. Yeah. It's imagine if it's a boot at the top of the boot. Right. Really, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's on the northern Italy, to the left-hand side. If you're looking at the map, right? Cool. And it's the uh, it's the, it's a very rural region. Nice. For my money, the best region. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah, the very, foods. they're very very fond of wild boar stew. Mm, <laughs> the nice. wild boar ragu, ragu they do that is just saying. Wild, have you ever eaten wild Oh, you've got to say it's tasty. Wild boar yeah. is nice. Wild boar's well, lovely, and they do, they do it. So, when we're legend, then, are they say? Right, so let's tuck in. San Galgano is reported to be the first saint whose canonization was conducted through a formal process by the church. 
Consequently, much of San Galgano's life is known through the documents of this canonization process, which was carried out in 1185, just a few years after his death. Furthermore, there are also a number of works written by later authors about the saint's life. San Galgano was born in 1148 in Ciusdino, in the modern Italian province of Siena. Now that's somewhere I've never been to Siena, I really want to go there. Oh. His mother is recorded as Dionysia, whilst in later works his father's name is said to be Guido or Guidotti. It is said that Sal Gangano was only concerned with worldly pleasures in his early life. Fair play. Yeah. <laughs> As a noble, he was a knight trained in the art of war. Very much like our Arthur. Yeah, very true. You know? And was arrogant as well as violent. <laughs> yes. All this changed, however, and the knight subsequently became a hermit. Oh, yeah. that's more my style. <laughs> exactly, me too and all. I like the idea of that. I mean, what else is the lighthouse keeper? But yeah, yeah, true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So San Galgano's conversion began with a vision of the Archangel Michael, who, incidentally, is commonly depicted as a warrior saint. In one version of the legend, the Archangel Michael appeared before San Galgano and showed him the way to salvation. The Archangel even told the saint the place that he should go. The next morning, San Galgano declared that he was going to become a hermit and would reside in a nearby cave. Oh, that's really cute. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Cool. So I don't think they were very keen at first, you know, yeah, maybe yeah. his family were turning around and saying, Oh, don't be doing things like that, you know, this is a bit silly, you've got all this wealth, you know. You're... You haven't got the beard for a hermit, yeah. grow it a few years. Yeah, that's it, just grow it in, see what it feels like. Maybe just stay in the cave at weekends, yeah. that sort of thing, you know. <laughs> So what the saying was basically that he was distracted by all his family, he had, he had these noble intentions and everything, and he was always heading out to be, go in this cave and everything, but his family were kind of pulling him up. So eventually what happened is the saint's mother, Dionysia, managed to convince her son to visit his fiancée for the last time before renouncing all worldly pleasures. So donning his nobleman's clothes, San Galgano sets off to visit his fiancée, but on his way there, the horse reared, right? Oh and chucked him off, right? And threw it off his back, right? But then an invisible force lifted San Galgano onto his feet and a seraphic or angelic voice led him to Montesieppi, a hill close to Ciusdino. And when San Galgano reached the foot of the hill, he was told to stand still, look to the top of Montesieppi. And San Galgano is said to have seen a vision of a round temple. Oh no, with Jesus and Mary surrounded by the twelve apostles. And then the voice told him to climb the hill and the vision faded. And when San Galgano reached the top of Montesieppi, the voice spoke again, commanding him to renounce all worldly desires. But San Galgano, he objected. Fucking hell, this is twice though. He's had that dream, hasn't he? The angel know. comes to him. They've had to chuck him off his horse. He's got some stones on this I know. And he's so when he objected, he said that it was just as easy as splitting stones with a sword to give all this stuff up, right? And to prove his point, San Galgano drew his sword and thrust it at the stone. But to the saint's great amazement, the weapon went through the stone like a hot knife through butter and has been stuck in the stone ever since. 
and Salm Galgano understood the message loud and clear, and lived on Montesiepi as a hermit. And several years after San Galgano's death, a round chapel was built on the top of the mountain, with a sword in the stone as its main attraction. Wow. What, what happened to it? Did it get bombed or something? No, whether you'd have thought so, because in all that area, there's an awful lot of, uh, a lot of aggro going yeah, on around there. Action. And our own granddad were in the area, yeah, of course. Yeah. He's a bit of fighting up around there. Yeah, we're doing more than fighting, aren't you? Yeah, I know he was. Around the old bastards. <laughs> So, for centuries, the sword in the stone was commonly believed to be a modern fake. It's give up, it's still there. It's still there, my man. No. Do you want to see a picture give, of it? No. Do you want to see a picture of it? Look at this. Oh, give up. It's just perfect, isn't it? Oh, you know what I mean? Look at it, a sword in the. Why haven't they heard of this shit? I thought you were going to say it got destroyed or looted or carried off or something. Oh, well, my God. They've done scans on it. They've done carbon testing on it, they've done radiography on it, they've done every test imaginable, and as far as everybody's concerned, it is real. So that sword goes all the way into that stone. The sword like... goes through the stone, it's not just glued on. And the gorilla glued on as no. <laughs> a plastic handle and shit. And the way it's been done, as in the way it's been put into the stone, it's not like the chisel a little hole in. Yeah. It's the sword and the stone have become fused and done. Oh, that is unbelievable. And you're not going to be doing some alchemy kind of wizard tricks back in the day, are you, to kind of like uh, science it up to make it look good? You didn't have any of that shit, did you? You know, you're at the most basic kind of levels of science. No, this is it, oh, you know. wow, that's a real sword in the stone, dude. But the only thing, the other thing they found is, you see, while I've been doing all these tests, is the researchers also discovered, with the aid of ground-penetrating radar, that there is a cavity measuring two metres by one metre beneath the sword. Ah. Perhaps, they think, containing the body of San Galgano himself. But lastly, carbon dating of another curiosity of the chapel. A pair of mummified hands <laughs> confirmed that they are also from the 12th century, from the same era as this sword. Where were they? In chapel? In the chapel too, yeah, they were in the chapel as well. And according to one legend, the devil supposedly sent an assassin in the guise of a monk to Montesiepi. The wild wolves of the hill, who were befriended by San Galgano, protected the saint and attacked the would-be assailant. And after the assassin was killed by the wolves, his hands were mummified and were subsequently displayed in the chapel. Oh, that's a, what a story that is. Oh, that's so, isn't it? Wolves and hermits and swords and stones. I don't like the idea of him keeping hands up. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know when he kind of lay in the hand, he's alone in the cave, isn't it? And he's like, oh, well, I've got another handy. Oh, it don't feel like mine. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'll, just, I'll just keep this handy. <laughs> <laughs> Left or right tonight, <laughs> Oh, you dirty hermit. So, talking of wolves. Ow! <laughs> See, it'd be, it'd be quite nice if the idea you knew wolves were protecting you, wouldn't they? Oh, mate, wolves are cool. The, the children of the night. I love all of that. <laughs> they are, they're terrifying, though. To be honest with you, I love the look of them. They're magical. But for me, imagine getting fucking hunted down by oh, a fucking wolf. No. Or a pack of wolves. Well, just imagine this. A Bolivian orchestra 
is stranded at a haunted German castle, surrounded by wolves. Whoa, rewind. I ain't good. That was far too much information for a Benny. Right. And what? Way up an orchestra? In where? In, they're in Germany, in a German castle. Right, so that's in Germany. They're in a castle. Why are they in a, ha- a haunted castle, you say? It's a haunted castle. Of course yeah. it is. Oh, yeah, they say that every castle's haunted. Well, they're practising there or somewhere. They're just on holiday. Well, I'll, give you, I'll, give you the, I'll give you the skinny on this one. <laughs> yeah, <maybe. laughs> Right. So this is a story from the New York Post, right, by Paula Froelich. And it says, A Bolivian pan flute orchestra has been stuck in quarantine in the grounds of a grand 15th century palace outside of Berlin for two months. Wow. So over 20 members of the Orquesta Experimental de Instrumentos Nativos have been stuck on the grounds and buildings of the Rheinsberg Palace, a castle complete with moat which has been... which has housed generations of German royals, right? So they've been based on a music tour. Yeah, yeah. They've been kind of locked down, and oh, then they are. Christ, locked down in a holy castle. Yeah, so as, as these guys have been sort of like, all these, you know, lads and lasses have been locked down here, you know, the wolves have closed in. Jesus, because all wildlife's coming back yeah, in, it, and they're starting to get a bit braver. This is it. Oh. The group arrived in Germany on March the 10th, expecting to perform at the Mears Music Festival, right? And the same day, Germany announced its ban on large gatherings, swiftly followed by a full country lockdown. And a week later, Bolivia closed its borders, and the group was stranded at a 600-acre estate, surrounded by 23 packs of wolves and haunted by the ghost of Frederick the Great. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't get any worse. Now, if I was surrounded by 23 wolves, right, I'd lose my shit. Yes, yeah. 23 packs of wolves. What's a pack? It could be open. It could be like 10 or 12. You go more? I don't know, but even if it's 10, that still means 230. Hungry oh, wolves. Oh my god, imagine oh, that night. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh, you're not going to sleep through day, aren't you? You're not going to be sleeping through night. No. But all day long, what you'd be doing, you'd be whittling either, you'd be either casting silver bullets, yeah, or you'd be whittling spears and arrows yeah, and things. Yeah, yeah, lots of spears for me. You'd be, you'd be preparing for the night's onslaught, oh, wouldn't you? Oh my god, that's terrifying. And all these fuckers have got his bloody pan flutes. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely noise to him though. <laughs> <laughs> Just whistling away. <laughs> oh Jesus. So this is where um Camed Martella from the band says we up. I won't do the accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna let it know. You were all over it. <laughs> we're all getting up to do the really racist accent. <laughs> you make you want to hear it now. What possessed me? <laughs> <laughs> steady, steady. <laughs> not this time, not this time. <laughs> really close to the bone. <laughs> we all joke that Frederick's ghost. <laughs> we all joke that Frederick's ghost is following us and trying to trip us up. I don't usually believe in such things, but it does feel as if there are ghosts on the grounds. Tracy Prado, who had just joined the orchestra in December ran into wolves during one of her walks. And she says, I froze in fear. But they were just play fighting. So she oh, moved on. Oh, that's so lucky. <laughs> I don't 
don't really know the pack mentality. It must be when they're hungry or when they're out for saying, yeah, we're yeah. hunting, now we go. The rest of the time they're lolling about. Well, weirdly enough, with wolves, um, there's almost no accounts of them ever killing people. Give up. No, Would not at all. It? No, no, no. There's some almost like ancient affinity that still means a pack of wolves will see people and avoid. Well, oh, they might be just like we're scared of fire in a way that you burn to think men kill things and not bang sticks. It could, it could be the case that the fearers, it could be the case of the spectres, mm. it could be the case that again, us and dogs is almost uh, yeah, uh, a, a, a kinship, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it might be a case, let's not go, let's not tread on their feet and we yeah. won't tread on their, you know what I mean? It'd be, you know, a bit of distancing. So to pass the time, the group practices up to six hours a day. So I bet they're shit hot at the moment. Yeah, don't they? of course they'll come out fly. Yeah. <laughs> I bet they can do bright eyes and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then they take walks, right, looking out for wolves all the time. Of course, they play soccer, like a bit of soccer. I won't be walking outside at moat, would you? There's no chance. No, I'll be, I'll be out. I want to see the wolves, but from binoculars. the right side of the moat, yeah, yeah binoculars, yeah. yeah. Up on Castle Wall. So, <laughs> you really don't like No, I don't. Thanks a lot. So, locals have donated food and clothing, but the stay is getting expensive. Bruno Odo Polzer, the director of Mayer's Music, estimated to the BBC that costs, now get this, so far to house them have exceeded $35,000 a month. <laughs> How much vino are they supping? What are they doing? And while Germany is allowing international flights, Bolivia's borders are still shut. So the Bolivian embassy told the BBC it is trying to get the orchestra out by early June. So it's about, about now they should yeah, be getting yeah. out, right? Via Madrid, although they didn't comment on how the musicians would get from Rheinsberg to Madrid. On walls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to stop you then, is it? <laughs> 200 packs. That's it, oh, keep... And they've got the pan pipes going. Oh, can you imagine the pan pipes riding wolves all the way to Bright Eyes? Madrid Bright Eyes playing. Oh, that needs to see this. How haunting was that? You just open the borders, wouldn't you? Good Come. choice. <laughs> can see the shadows are starting to yeah, stretch across keep the... Keep a look uh, on the... Can't be late tonight switching the old light on. Yeah, well, we know it works now. We know we tested it and everything, yeah. so we're going to be good for that now, you know. So we'll, after this, we'll get up there and give it a little switch on, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. Make sure it's closed, because we don't want any fucking yeah. bats coming in. <laughs> <laughs> but this is just a little bit of something I found interesting. This is this is a bit self-indulgent of me, mm. as you see. Because we had a little bit of a thing earlier, didn't we, about Arthur yeah. and, and all that sort of stuff. And I think ancient mysticism is a very interesting thing. And this is a piece about the yew tree, right, from an essay called Hallowed Ground by Chelsea Steinauer Scudder. Right, all name there. Yeah. And it goes as such. The roots of religious belief and the sacredness of nature were once closely entwined, just as the ancient yew grows in the churchyard. The yew, Taxus baccata of the family Taxacea, is a conifer native to the United Kingdom. Growing up to 20 metres or 66 feet tall, and sometimes taller, the peeling auburn bark and small straight needles that grow in two dark green rows 
Ewes provide habitat for the goldcrest and other small birds. Every part of the ewe is poisonous, with the exception of the bright red fleshy arils, the berries that encase the seed, food for the blackbird and the thrush. Ewes are the oldest living things in Britain, considered ancient only when they reach the age of 900 years old. <laughs> what? Yeah. Some are believed to be at least 5,000 years old. Ewes carry an air of the secretive, and their age is notoriously difficult to determine because of their ability to withstand extraordinarily long periods of dormancy, and then mysteriously decide that the time is right for new growth. Some of Britain's oldest ewes have witnessed Roman expeditions led by Julius Caesar, ancient Celtic ceremonies, Anglo-Saxon conquests, and the Black Death. The fallen giant is one of the ancient ewes of Druid's Grove in Norbury Park, south of London. It was partially uprooted in 1720, and for the next 300 years it lay still, coiled up as if in mortal agony, according to an 1842 edition of the Athenaeum Journal. Fresh green needles did not emerge from its twisted branches, Around it, histories unfolded, religions waxed and waned. A modern world sprang from the ground in every direction. All the while the giant's kin stood nearby, trees called the horse and its rider, the king of the park, trees old enough to be recognised and given names. But then, in 2018, after three centuries of silence, the fallen giant put out a new branch. Ancient ewes, ghastly looking beings, were respected and feared by the Druids, the Celts, then the Christians. For this tree can at once be dead and reborn. New shoots can grow around a hollow, decaying trunk. The ewes' deadly toxicity its ability to return to life from apparent decay and its longevity have granted the tree a complex symbolism. In ancient Greece, ewes were associated with Hecate, the goddess of witchcraft and necromancy. The Druids used the ewes in death rituals. In Celtic traditions, ewes symbolised both death and resurrection. Christians buried yew shoots with the deceased and used boughs of the trees as palms at Easter. And one will almost always see yews growing on the southern or western sides of a church where the dead are buried. A number of these long-lived beings still stand today. Many of the oldest yews in Britain survive because churches were planted alongside them. We often think that the ewes were planted in churchyards, but it's the other way round. The presence of the churchyard protects the ewes. The presence of the ewe drew the church to the hallowed ground. It is not often known which was there first. Their sacred roots are intertwined. The ancient relationship between the churchyard and the ewe is often forgotten in a modern world. Not dead, perhaps, but for now, dormant.
Jesus, that's chuffing terrifying, is that? I'm not going to bloody sleep. <laughs> what the? That's a lot to mull over there. Crap, I didn't know that, that churches were built on the on next to yew trees, though. That's fascinating. Well, that's I always th- thought the yew trees were put in churchyards because of their druidical thoughts of... Yeah. And then it turns out, no, it's the other way around. Right. What about ley lines? Apparently, you look at ley lines, and you can, you can see the churches on the ley lines. Yeah. But really, the churches are there because of the bloody... Yew you, trees, yeah? which were possibly planted there because of druids, or far older religions. Because they feared them, didn't they? Druids, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't seem like the right, you know, um, how could I say, like they were taming them or they used them. They no. were more like, Jesus Christ, you know, watch these are like a symbol of death and life. Yeah. Poison. And job lot. They just thought they had these immense magical properties. Oh, my God. That, what's that one? There's a story about some tree. Is that a yew tree? It's that? an M.R. James story, the yew tree. Yeah. yeah very the little, scary. the little monkey things are something yeah. crawling about. And there's actually spiders scuttling out of it. A great yeah. nest of spiders. Yeah. You know, but I won't, I won't spoil the story because I will encourage you, don't read it now. I will say, save the yew tree as a story by M.R. James for Christmas. Mm. It's a great Christmas tale. Yeah, he's, like, yeah, he's true, actually. Yeah, he's really perhaps have a little one. reading of it. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, because yeah, well, I'm a big fan of, although we will be doing, obviously, quite a bit later on now, we'll do we'll do a nice uh, Halloween episode. Yeah, spooky but, October, my friend. Yeah, full spooky October, we'll do that. <laughs> but at the same time as well, we will do a spooky Christmas because oh, I'm a big fan of the traditional Christmas stuff. Massively. There's some really good ones yeah. on BBC. Isn't there? But going back to UT, Jesus Christ, I didn't know that. They all these like living tricks. I didn't think they were from here. I thought they were imported. No, they are native. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, you're right to say imported. A lot yeah. of our trees are. Yeah, that's, that's a lot that, of people don't know which trees. I mean, I'm a big fan of obviously big fan of trees and stuff yeah, like yeah. this. I, I kind of study things like that on in my spare time. I'm not a uh, <laughs> <laughs> not a pro. No, I'm not a pro. No, no. I'm just a, just an enthusiastic. Amateur. No, but you've always been well into your nature. Haven't yeah. Because like you told me before, really, when you boil it down, we had like a fucking turnip and a fucking oak or something like yeah, that. That's yeah, all we had. England, you know what I mean? I mean, the the thing is as well with things like the yew tree and the uh, the oaks and the ash and the um, the, the well, obviously certain birches we have as well. Various trees that are actually our natives, they are better to plant things like that because they do uh, they're great uh, habitats for our native species of insects yeah, and birds. Yeah. Um, say for example, even like sycamores have been here for quite a long time now. There's not many, not many creatures will live off them and feed off them. Not as, you might get so like 50, 60 different species yeah. will feed off these plants, but you'll get like a yew tree. I think that'd be a habitat for sort of like seven, eight hundred different types of creatures or something. Right. Lots more creatures live off these things, even yeah. in its poisonous state. But it's you know they are poison oh, proper poison it sounds yeah. every bit of it except for that little red berry. Well, that'll be the thing that'll protect it. I mean, you could you could actually eat the berries. Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend. I, in fact, I'll just put this as a caveat now: do not eat the berries. Well, you just told right. me I could. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to do? Technically, with me? if you touch it. Gather the berries. Make sure you've got the seed well out of the way. Yeah. You could eat, and people. I have heard of people making a jelly, like a little, like a little preserve out of it, right? Yeah. But it's got, apparently got a very snotty. Mm. Yeah, that's the word they use: yeah. snotty consistency. Oh, nice. Let's just leave that one in. Yeah, bag, you know but I mean? of course, if you accidentally kind of nick the seed with your tooth. You're in a world of hurt. Oh my god! You know, god. I mean, you can be poisoned by it. So you know, what a creepy tree that is, man. Yeah. Coming back to life after all them years. Yeah. Well, I think mm. as well, it shows its actual sturdiness, and as well, a lot of the trees now take like the silver birch. 
if you look at that, the thing we know about silver birch is that the bark peels. Yeah, I've the seen that. The bark does peel, yeah, you yeah. know. And the reason it peels is because, like, a creature that could be gnawing on the bark and chewing a bit, yeah. it, it takes a bit off and munches it. Well, there's new bark underneath. Yeah, coming in. Yeah. it's all just healing skin type. Yeah. Thing. Whereas the, the, the protection of the, the yew wow. is to say if you eat the bark of this, yeah. you're going to be, well, potentially dead. Christ. So you just avoid it. And that is perhaps why it's such a successful long-lived tree. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps, you know, that could be it. But it's, wow. I think it's a beautiful tree. Look out for them in your churchyards and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm going to go hunting now. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So that's it. But there, on that list, well, I mean, it's a bit of a sinister note. Oh, yeah, spooky, but it's spooky o'clock, isn't it, really? It's getting dark. Nearly time for light, dude. Well, I think that's the best way to cast out any bats and demons and things yeah. like this. Get a bit of light on the oh, subject, you know. Cast well, it bright. And, you, and, I know, and I'll tell you what, though, although your chips have got in you, I might put a little tray of oven chips on your arcade. Oh, crinkle cut? I'll get some crinkle cut out for you. I've got two oh, bags up. I've got mate. straight. That always reminds me of Christmas, the crinkle cut. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Christmas chips? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get some chips on you. Oh, sweet. Cheers, dude. Ah, that's it. So all that's left for us to do now is say goodbye from Kraken Cove. So this is a big goodbye from Matt. And a massive goodbye from Ben. Okay, see you later, guys. <laughs> Take care. There are three ways you may contact Kraken Cove. Either by email at Podcast at gmail.com on Twitter at Kraken Cove or Instagram at Kraken Cove Pod. Ha ha!